Hello everyone and welcome to another insightful episode of the Digital Adoption Show where we talk about the future of work. Today we're going to delve deep into the top 3 hacks for leveraging employee centric analytics for data driven decision making. Sounds complicated, right? Well, we'll break it down for you. In today's fast-paced and ever-evolving world, the power of data has become a driving force in various aspects of our lives, including the realm of human resources and education. Organizations are increasingly realizing the potential of harnessing data to make informed decisions, optimize processes, and enhance overall efficiency. This realization has given rise to two vital disciplines: people analytics and learning analytics and we are going to cover both these topics in today's podcast peter ryber our first guest on today's podcast is the head of digital learning and analytics at novo nordisk a leading global healthcare company he talks about the term learning analytics and help you understand the importance of it learning analytics in the context that i'm in is super super simple you've got some completion data on what people are learning and you know training what activities are people doing and this is in mostly in the formal space but you can also collect data on the informal stuff which is a little bit more fluffy because it's not really learning activities but it's definitely things people do in the context of learning so but what you do is you collect data on people's training and learning behavior and it's probably going to come from your learning management system or your learning experience platform or whatever systems you have in place to collect activity from what people are doing that's a kind of a baseline we we need to do that most systems can do that but that's only going to be vanity metrics if that stands alone because then we can report on how many people went through how many courses and spent how many hours on all these things and it doesn't really say anything so the magic comes it's not really magic but i think it's kind of magical what happens when you do that uh-huh. you do it is that when you connect that data with your people data so data about where people are located how old they are what genders they are what personality profiles they have all sorts of people data salary levels all sorts obviously completely anonymized i have to say that we really need to protect people's data but we do have that option often in in hr or people development to get a hold of that data from our peers in the places working with that kind of data and then once we are outside hr which is probably the most important thing we'll need to go out and collect data on sales performance on safety on uh, production efficiency on deviances in production all sorts of business kpis or indicators telling us what performance is in the mm-hmm. context of where people work because when we correlate those two things when we when we put them together we will be able to say if there's a correlation and we have to make sure that we separate correlation from causation mm. which means we cannot say that because people did this training they did this that is causation there are so many other variables in this equation so people are irrational creatures right <laughs> they do things in different contexts with different people and different timings so we can't say that this training was the only reason why people did this better or worse or whatever we would like to see so it's a correlation but the more that you test that you put your trainings or learning activities in a context where you can say did this happen yes that happened okay let's try again with this audience did the same thing happened or, or did something else happen all right the same thing happened we'll retry that in a context 
maybe even do some A-B testing. And then you'd be able to strengthen your correlations towards causation. Maybe at some point you reach some version of causality if you do. So experimenting, do controlled experimenting, and then testing your content in a context. And then you'll be able to see, are your training and learning activities contributing to the things that they're supposed to contribute to? The sales training that you guys are doing, is that actually for the people who's on the sales training courses, improving sales, if that's the target. It's, it usually is, right? Or creating better conversations or whatever. So you've got safety training. The safety training that you guys push out into the organization for a lot of people, is that actually improving safety for these people? Can we measure an outcome, the training that people have been on or the correlation between those two? That's pretty simple. Right. So the magic source here, Google, is to ask the question before you even design and distribute learning. What's going to change in the business or with people on the other side of people having been through this learning intervention? What's the indicator that's supposed to change? Mm -hmm. Is it a sales increase? Is it a cost reduction? Is it a safety improvement? Is what, is, what do you expect is going to happen for the audience, with the audience, on the other side of you having trained people? Very few people get around to answer, asking that question before they do anything. Because we're experienced people, we know that this solution is the best one and our design will work. But actually, we don't really know. And if we don't test with different versions, how would we know if it's our version that works the best? Or would there be other, you know, pivots that would be more efficient in the same context? We don't know if we don't try it. This is how designs work. You test different versions of the same thing. They do it in product marketing. You know, when people need to launch or companies need to launch new products with their marketing stuff, they test and they do all sorts of testing with, with audiences. What works best? What lands best with this group? Do analysis, go back, change a few things, go back, do the testing again. And you can see why we're not doing that in learning development. And we've got all the data available to make that analysis. So for me, learning analytics is to prove a correlation between the training effort that you're doing and the outcome that you want. He then gives us some expert advice on a framework that one should be creating to enable an effective learning analytics strategy. The framework is pretty simple. You need a data lake, right? And that means that you need the learning data that you have, the training activities data on that. You need people data. You need behavioral data if you can get it. So how are people interacting with the other systems in your, in your company, like on Teams, on Yammer, if the Microsoft suite is what you're using? How are people accessing what? What are people searching for on SharePoint? What are people interested in? So you can do text analysis on trends, trending stuff on Yammer, and you can do all sorts of things that doesn't violate privacy, but is, is kind of an analysis of what's going on. Now, Laurie Niles Hoffman is one of the people I will mention that you guys should follow. She's doing some of that uh, work around data-informed, data-driven learning design, mm -hmm. where you can actually get insights from these sources to create your training, which is a different turnaround, and we are also doing that. So, But your framework should be around get the data structure in place, know what kind of data you'd want from the business is really important from your own HR on people so we know who people are and we can start discriminating. Say we know that women between 25 and 40 primarily access these things at these times. They are working in this business unit where the strategy is this. 
would it make sense to, because we can see in the performance metrics that sales are not really picking up in this area and this audience that we just mentioned are some of those who should drive it. Should we try and place a training in this context to see if that affects the sales? And th those are some of the hypotheses that you should mm -hmm. make. You need that foundational piece where you've stitched the data together. So get the foundation right. Get someone in who knows how to structure data from mm -hmm. sources, how to make a data lake, how to set up APIs if you can, access point interfaces that transfers the data automatically, runs the data into your lake, and then, then get that structure set so you can start doing your hypothesis work from there. So then you have the foundation. You've got the insights. Right now, I think still the dialogue, and has been for a while in L&D, is that we don't want to be order takers. We don't want the business to come ask us for stuff. We'd actually like to go proactively and say, guys, we can see that in your region, sales is dropping. We can also see that the audience who's been taking this training has actually performed better than the other audiences. Would it make sense that we distribute the same training to this audience and see how it works and maybe do an A-B test between these, you know, and stuff like that. A, that's the conversation you can start having. And once you have the foundation in place, you go to the people in the business units working with training or learning or the ones that you usually work with some, it could be someone that's say in your quality division saying, guys, now we can actually, you know, tell you whether your safety training or your quality training is improving quality or safety. Here's the metrics that we already have. Do you see any holes in that? Do we need anything else? What is it that you really like to change? What do you really want to achieve? And then we go back and say, well, we can actually see that correlation with the data that we have. Let's start here. This is the training we have on the shelves. These, they don't mean anything. They don't really do anything in our historical data. These really do. Or we've got a new design that we want to test out. And then we start that conversation with the stakeholders. Much, much, much better and cooler conversation to have because it has a purpose with impact. Now you're actually changing something in learning and development. Before, it was just a gut feeling. You've made this wonderful program we pushed it out there and people were super happy about it but at the end of the day did that change anything for the business that you work for did it really materialize for those people who went on your program did they change behavior did they get better salaries did they get better lives better well-being did they you know provide extra turnover for the company what really happened and that's so refreshing and actually really, really satisfying for any learning and development professional, in my opinion, that you can say that I contributed with the stuff that I can do to get people, you know, learning stuff that changed things in the business. That's, that's what I'm chasing. And uh, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. Peter then sheds light on the kind of skill set one needs if they want to pick up learning analytics. There are multiple ways of acquiring those skills. One of them is just to throw yourself out there and connect with people who's already doing it. So, but it depends on what your role is, in my opinion, because you can strategize around it. You can get that big picture thinking going on about, you know, how do you want to treat learning analytics in the context of the, you know, the content and the design, the system architecture and what you're doing, the whole strategic bit. But there's also the hands-on thing that I think is super underrated. You need skills in collecting data. So you, you obviously, if you're starting all over, need some data proficiency. You need to know what data analytics is and what it isn't. And you need to know how to handle that in the systems that you're choosing because there are multiple tools to choose from. We use Alteryx 
pull in the data and structure it and get it through the thought funnels and you know clean up the data and all that sorts of stuff and then we send it into power bi into dashboards where we are interpreting the data for people visualizing trends and, and all sorts of things and in, in connections so those tools you obviously need to be able to master now this really depends on because lnd teams could be super small they're usually super small and then you've got you know bigger teams but it's probably few of these people as i see it it's I may be completely wrong, but who would be able to and really interested in taking on this digital, it's super digital, right? This journey around structuring data and looking into systems and, and all sorts of things it kind of requires an interest and curiosity to, to handle that and a little bit of patience because it, it doesn't come super easy. But yeah, you, I, I, my, my recommendation would be link up with people who is already doing it and especially those who are hands-on. Ask them, what tools are you using? What's your structure? What's your foundation? What's your data model? And then start understanding all those concepts that you need in place. Just do it. Lastly, he tells our listeners how to evaluate the ROI of a LND employee training program or a digital adoption program or any of the investments that a company makes. What I can see is we need, because we've got access to the people data again, so we know the salaries, right? Obviously still super anonymized and all that, but we know if we distribute a training that lasts two hours for this group of people, we know how much that will cost us in just bare salaries. That's the cost. Then there's the opportunity cost around what could people have done instead of going on that training. That's something that's a little bit harder to calculate, but if you link up with your finance people, they will probably suggest some kind of way that you can guesstimate to some extent how much are you taking away from the business by actually putting these people on a training instead of doing their normal, normal jobs? That's easy in a sales department, probably a lot more difficult in other departments, but that is what it is, right? You can do that in some instances. So you've got the direct costs and you've got the opportunity costs around what you're trying to do. And when you distribute, you need to calculate how you're supposed to get that back. Otherwise, you need to accept that the investment is not lost, but that it is a cost for you. So I would argue any anytime you are thinking about deploying a training or learning activity for people, a program, whatever it is, go into those calculations early and say, this is the target group. We've got 1,500 managers or 1,000 managers or 500 managers or 600 employees that needs to go on this course. What's the average salary that we can calculate across currencies, normalized and all that sort of stuff? Yes, we can get a number. This is what it will cost to take them out of their daily jobs in the stuff that we're expecting them to do. Now, what's going to change in the business on the other side of people been through this program? Something is going to change. How does that affect our sales? How do we get the money back? What's the ideas that we can get to increase something or well-being or whatever it is that we then call it investment in well-being? We won't get it back you know, in, in money or monetary terms, but we will get it back in satisfaction that will then derive into some other value that we can we can define but we need to have that conversation every time we deploy something i can't i could not expect i could not expect any you know any other division or department product sales marketing you would not do these things without calculating what's the cost of doing it how do we expect to get that back because we are a business but we're not doing it learning development to a great extent at least. 
Yeah, and we think we should do the more. Our next guest on today's podcast is Ian Cook. He is the Vice President of Research and Strategy at Vizier. He is responsible for overall direction and growth of Vizier's people analytics solutions. So coming from a people analytics expert, Ian sheds light on how to make sure that the employees stick around and stay with the business for a long time. It's really possible to help somebody stay with your business. Half the time, it's just paying attention to the fact and having the conversation. And that's where I say this, you know, whilst that's a digital process, I'm, I'm taking data, I'm running it through some algorithms, I'm coming up with a probability, that's a, a digital process. It, it leads to a human process, which is like, just want to check in. How are you feeling about work? You know, are you feeling challenged? Are you feeling motivated? Are you excited about where you're going? I just, you know, I'd love to have that conversation with you over coffee just want to explore whether we really like having you in our work environment we want to make sure that your work environment is also you know aligned to where you're going that's the start of the conversation and sometimes that conversation it doesn't pan out but often that conversation like oh you do actually want me to stay i I just thought you were completely ambivalent and didn't care (laughs) and just that simple aspect of of showing that you're interested and you do have an intent for that person to stay and you're prepared to make changes around that will will keep the employee and that's worth it's worth across the population that's worth many millions you know in certain circumstances it can be worth a lot of money in its own ian then talks about how companies can get better at gaining insights and then actually making that actionable from what the employees are trying to tell them we're definitely in this wave three around the employee listening space where you know some of our partner technologies they don't do mass surveys. They have an, an app where after an experience, you can give it a star rating. After an experience, you can talk to your phone. They'll record that on a camera. They'll break that down into positive, negative sentiment. They'll send that to the manager it belongs to. So, you know, one of the pieces around listening has never been more important, but digital allows for that far more focused, immediate listen to what the person cares about, and then respond to what the person cares about. So moving away from this, you know, make engagement surveys were often done as a scorekeeping process. You know, we've got to have 70% engagement, and then we can say, right, we've been doing our jobs, we, we check the box and we carry on. Managers get their bonus because of that. For me, it brought people issues into the conversation, but it was mostly as a, let's check we're not terrible and then carry on as you say we we put it in the draw and forgot about it what's happening for our leading organizations is they're they're going to this far more fast cycle kind of as you expect as a customer if I, if i went to a hotel and then once a year they asked me if i liked that experience i wouldn't go back to the hotel mm-hmm. uh, so in the same vein as not not that employee is exactly a customer but that same closed cycle experience of like I had an experience. I want to tell you about it. I'd like to know A, that I was heard and B, if anything's going to happen. And just being able to actually close that, you know, ask, respond loop much more quickly. That's where where digital is allowing it to happen. Again, you don't have to have somebody push a button to send the survey. It can be triggered by an event and you can have the technology process the answers and give it just to the people who need to understand it. So you're starting to be able to listen a lot more effectively. Uh, Again, I think that's a a phenomenal step forward. He had some interesting thoughts on the role that digital adoption plays in increasing the level of engagement. 
the piece that I think digital allows and, and sort of a, an employer can access is using technology to help people find the work that they really love. There's two sides to engagement. I've never believed that an employer is responsible for the employee engagement. The employer can create the conditions through which you engage yourself, but some people thrive at work. Some people, you know, work as a thing they do so they can do something else. And so what is occurring now through some of the technologies that are available is this notion of aligning skills with tasks. So instead of having a job, which is a role, which is a kind of a box you sit in, which you describe to somebody at parties, they're actually looking at work as sets of tasks that get offered and, and fulfilled by people with different skills. So you up somebody's engagement by giving them the choice to opt into new things to do. It, it's not as chaotic as it sounds, and it's not as simple as it sounds. But again, one of the ways that I see some of the modern technologies on the people side starting to help is more openness about 10% of your work time being on things that are growth or development or change for you. But what is often very disengaging or even you know, neutral people is this notion of just doing the same thing all the time, all the time. We're, we're not necessarily wired to change, but we like a little bit of difference. So if there's ways to make that more possible for more people without disrupting the business, for me, that's one of the ways, again, to help lift that connection to work for people. It doesn't get too, too much the same. Finally, Ian shares some areas of low-hanging fruit that people can start looking at today to try to make some changes and positive outcomes. Yeah, I, I think the first place that, that we encourage people to, to look at is understanding the use of people data to, to help managers. It, it hasn't been a traditional practice, but there's a crew of people who have been building it up over the last 10, 15 years. We've learned a bunch of stuff. We've put out case studies. We've put out kind of practice guidance. There, there is the trailblazers has kind of blazed a path. And so there's now a nice trail for, for folks to follow. So educating yourself on what's possible because it, it goes way beyond what people assume, that's for sure. And then, you know, starting to to practice some of it. Sim simple, simple things like, you know, regular feeds of information to managers about here's how the experience level of your team has changed over the last quarter. You know, what does that mean for you? Does that mean that you're going to overachieve, underachieve? Does that mean we need to think about rebalancing teams to get experience where it counts? It's a really simple question, and yet it can have really material impacts on how the business performs. So I think that's a great place to start. Thank you all for joining us on this enlightening journey of understanding the true potential of people analytics and learning analytics to enhance corporate decision-making. Stay tuned as we bring you fresh perspectives and episodes filled with insightful conversations every week on the Digital Adoption Show. We are thrilled to announce that our podcast is now live on multiple platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and much more. We greatly appreciate your support and encourage you to leave a review, comment, or a rating to help us continue delivering valuable content. If you have any questions on the topic, feel free to ask in the comment section below.